0: I want to talk tonight about four ways that Satan uses to destroy the influence of the Word of God. These are all real. They're all important. Satan, very, very conscious of the fact that the Word of God leads people, strengthens people, guides people, completely contrary from the way that Satan wants them to be. So once you've trusted Christ as your Savior... Nothing Satan can do about that. He can, however, keep you from living your life for the Lord Jesus. And that's still his goal. He hasn't given up on you when you got saved just because he can't have your eternity. He wants right now. And four methods that Satan has used throughout history, around the world, to destroy the influence of the Word of God. Here's the first one. That's simply to physically destroy it. First 300 years of the Christian era, 10 times the Roman Empire, excuse me, sent out the entire Roman army, world's, by far the world's strongest army at that point, with orders to destroy every copy of the scriptures they could find. Sometimes the orders included burning every church building. Sometimes it included killing every pastor. Sometimes it included killing every Christian. The orders weren't all the same, but ten times, empire wide, there was an order to destroy every copy of the Word of God. Just to physically destroy it. Matter of fact, Christianity had been so driven underground that one Roman emperor, Diocletian, Uh, it was normal when the emperors died to build these huge monuments to them, had left instruction that when they listed his accomplishments, they were to list that he is the one who had eradicated Christianity from the face of the earth, that he had destroyed Christianity. That monument is still there in Rome, and you can still go see it today. And if you can read the Latin, you can read how he memorialized himself with the idea that he destroyed Christianity. And chance, he spoke a little too soon. I have a suspicion that more people know who Jesus is than know who Diocletian was. But that, that's how thorough and, 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 and dedicated they were to this idea. It is not new. If you can go back, we're not going to turn there for time's sake. But if you go to uh, Jeremiah 36, you find out God's given Jeremiah a revelation about judgment on Judah because of the sins of the king. And so this is read to some of the people in the king's court. They take it to the king. He has it read, and he's got a little knife out, and as they're reading it, he's cutting the pages in little strips and throwing them into the fire. Hey, problem solved. By the time he was done, none of that was there, except for one little thing. Uh, The Lord just inspired it all again, and it was there when he was done trying to destroy it. It was there when the Roman Empire was done trying to destroy it. Muslims throughout their history have worked at destroying the New Testament. They embraced the Old Testament, but there have been massive uh, destruction of the uh, uh, New Testament in, in various places under Muslim rule. The Roman Catholic Church worked for centuries to keep the Bible out of the hands of the people. They failed, and when that failed, they sort of jumped on the bandwagon. But I mean, the history of those who were persecuted, those who were killed, those who were burned at the stake by Roman Catholicism because of wanting to get the Word of God in the hands of people. I have been to the memorial in Valdez, North Carolina, to the Valdensian people. They were a group of independent churches in the area of the Alps Mountains. Uh, They say they go back to the the first century. At the very least, they go back to the third century. They preach the gospel, and and, uh, part of their training for preachers, they would train preachers full-time for three years, went 12 months out of the year, and every year, one of the responsibilities of the Bible college student was to make a handwritten copy of the entire Bible. They used the old Italia Bible. And the first copy he made was his. That way he had a copy of the Bible when the Roman Catholic priest didn't. The second copy, the copy made the second year, the copy made the third year, went to missionaries uh, to take places. And... The, uh, they had a whole procedure because 36 times in 1600 years, Roman Catholic armies or Roman armies then Roman Catholic armies came into the, that area with the intention of destroying every Bible. They killed incredible numbers of people, and the Valdenses developed papier-mâché. You know what papier-mâché is? You, you, you make this I mean, It looks like a rock. It's really just a hollow. They developed papier-mâché as a way of hiding Bibles in the mountains. And they had instructions. Their Bible colleges would always be a little bit higher in the mountains than the town. And so they would have a little bit of notice. The Catholic armies were coming, and they had papier-mâché rocks just off in the distance where they could take the Bibles and hide the Bibles, and then the people fled. And when you got there, looking from a distance, you couldn't tell the papier-mâché rocks from the real ones. They developed that for the purpose of hiding Bibles. I have been to their memorial in Valdez. I've been to their museum in Valdez. I've seen some of them. I mean, you don't have to get very far away, and you can't tell that's paper. But they developed it as a way to hide Bibles because they knew that every time the Catholic armies came, they came with the purpose of trying to destroy every copy of the Scriptures that they possibly could. I mean, it's always been... Satan's plan to physically destroy it. The Church of England in its early years was very involved in physically trying to destroy the Scriptures and to destroy the people who translated into English. They burnt people uh, like William Tyndale and uh, people like uh, John Rogers at the stake for translating the Word of God. And uh, the communists, everywhere communism has gone, it has tried to destroy Christianity. And one of the things it has done is make the Bible illegal. And there have been incredible amounts of massive persecution of Christians and destruction of copies of the Word of God. The modernist crowd does not want people to have the Scriptures, and they've been involved in the corrupting of it. It's interesting. I had a chance in 2015 to go to Oxford University in England. Oxford is where some of the great things for God were done during the English Reformation. But it is a series of colleges, and today it's a series of colleges completely controlled by the modernists. And uh, in the cathedral, or in the chapel there, years past, they had built the largest stained glass window I've ever seen as a memorial to William Tyndall for translating the Bible. Today, they have that covered with a giant curtain. Hasn't been taken out or destroyed, but only because I was with somebody who knew where it was. We went right to the spot and he pulled the curtain back. And there was this giant stained window memorializing, translating the Bible. But it's not something they believe in at Oxford anymore. In fact, talking with the people from Oxford University, they were proud of two things. Number one, they said not a single one of their theology students owned a car, so they weren't destroying the planet. And more than 50% of their theology students were homosexual. And so that improves how enlightened the school was. That's how far they've come. But I'm telling you the modernists fought and fought and fought against the Scriptures, both proper translation of the Scripture and proper interpretation of the Scriptures. It has been Satan's plan, it still is, whenever he can get away with it, to physically destroy copies of the Scripture. We are so spoiled. Many of us have several Bibles. There's a whole lot of people around the world dream of having one. We just have no idea how all this works. We, we absolutely should be absolutely and utterly amazed at all this. Then secondly, and that brings us to second Corinthians chapter two. Satan has tried to destroy the influence of the Word of God by simply corrupting it. Do you look at second Corinthians chapter two verse 17? For we are not as many. Which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Even during the time that Paul himself was involved in being inspired of God to write scripture, there were folks making corrupt copies of the Bible. It goes back to the very beginning. I mean, from the very beginning, false teachers, in those days, every copy was handwritten. And boy, when you're you're copying by hand, it's easy to make changes. And they would make changes and they would hand this to somebody and say, this is the Bible. And false teachers were making copies and putting their own ideas in. And, And you developed, in the course of all that, two different streams of Bibles, the pure stream that were made of good copies, and then the copies that were made by heretics. There aren't many of them, by the way. A lot of folks surprised to find all this out. But the truth is, there have been found over 6,000 Old New Testament manuscripts in Greek, and only about 50 of them are of the corrupt kind. It's a very small number. Only a couple of them in the United States. They're at the University of Michigan. Every year, the University of Michigan has a symposium. They bring out their old manuscripts. And they have a program. They have several speakers. It's entitled, From the Sands of Egypt to the King James Bible. And they talk about the Bible, and the information is just all false. The copies they have are corrupt copies. And one year, some folks challenged them and said, you know, you never have anybody with an alternative viewpoint in so they got me an invitation to speak at this. It's interesting. Interesting crowd. And I had 90 minutes. And the topic, scheduled topic for all of us, is from the sands of Egypt, which is where the corrupt manuscripts come from, to the King James Bible, which has nothing to do with the corrupt manuscripts. Every single word in the King James Bible is based on the authority of the majority of manuscripts. So I got up said, okay, there is no connection between the sands of Egypt and the King James Bible. Now have 89 minutes left. Let's talk about where the King James Bible did come from. It was an interesting experience. But I'm just telling you, there are folks from the beginning who made corrupt copies of the Bible. And along came, in the evangelical world, in the Protestant world, in the Baptist world, that we had Bibles based on good copies. But in the 1800s, folks came along and said, you know, The majority of the manuscripts are corrupt, and we need to go with the minority. And they said that's because the smarter people, the scholarly people, it's a process called the tyranny of the experts. It's how people promote evolution. It's how they promote global warming. It's how they promote all kinds of things. So this is what all the smart people believe. And if you don't believe this, it's because you're not really smart. And they don't give you reasons. They just say this is what all the smart people believe. You do want to be thought of as a smart person, don't you? And there begin to be a change in this, and there are folks who begin to advocate the idea of letting the minority of manuscripts be the authority. The truth is, more than 99% of the old Greek manuscripts ever found match our King James Bible. It is less than 1%. It's less than 50 on the other side, compared to 6,000 some. So... Uh, I was asked a few years ago if I'd be on the board of an organization uh, called the Society for the Preservation and Study of the Majority Text. It's not a religious organization. It's simply dedicated to the study of all these thousands of texts of majority type. And uh, there are a lot of interesting people that are part of it, but... The one thing we have in common is we think those old texts should be preserved. Many of them are literally crumbling. They're owned by libraries. They're owned by museums. And those are usually pretty well taken care of. But some of them are owned by individuals and local churches. And many of those are just literally crumbling into dust. And the whole purpose of the organization is to challenge and encourage folks to take proper care of these and also to make copies of them so those copies can be posted on the Internet. Well, when we first got involved in this, we heard from a Greek Orthodox monastery in uh, Greece, and uh, they said, you know, for years we've read this, that there's about 6,000 majority-type manuscripts. He said, you folks in the Western world have no idea. There are many, many thousands more in Greece and Turkey. They're in the old monasteries. They said, our monastery alone has 1,100 of them. And so I immediately sent a message, how many of them are majority text type and how many of them are critical text type? How many are the type that King James is based on? How many are the type that all these other English Bibles are based on? The answer I got back was 100% of them were majority text because nobody would have bothered to have saved one based on critical text. By the way, that's not so hard to believe because the two most important critical text manuscripts, one of them was found in a wastebasket in a Greek monastery where they were using the pages of it to start fires in the fireplace in the reading room. It tells you how much they thought of it. And so when word about that got out, people began to try and, and contact this monastery. And one of the great critics of the King James Bible and the majority text ...wanted to go see these manuscripts. So he contacted the monastery. The monastery said, we've asked these people in the United States to be our representatives. You have to get permission from them. Now, they didn't care that much for that. They'd already attacked us publicly. And now they're coming and have, they have to come and ask us for permission to see these. But their guys, they, they agreed to meet in Chicago, which was great for me. I'm pastoring in Chicago at the time. People came from all over the country, their group, our group. And we got a table in an Italian restaurant... And they're sitting on one side and we're sitting on the other side. Sitting next to me is a Russian Orthodox bishop, their bishop in charge of textual things. For all the fallacies of the Russian Orthodox Church, they do understand and use the majority text. So I'm sitting next to him and right across from us is the head of this group. And finally, the bishop stood up. He looked like a Russian Orthodox bishop, by the way. The red robe, the hat and all. I mean, he... But he threw me completely for loop. Sat next to me. I expected to hear this, you know, Eastern European accent. He was actually from Texas. <laughs> Sounded like John Wayne. Just blew my mind. But he stood up at one point and he looked at the head of this group. He said, you guys think you're such great scholars. He said, there isn't a 10-year-old Russian Orthodox boy in the world that doesn't know this issue better than you do. He said, if you ask any 10-year-old Russian Orthodox boy in the world, should we consider the 99% authoritative or the 1% authoritative, they would all be able to figure out it's the 99%. And then he gave this illustration that blew my mind. He said, the comic book people understand this issue better than you do. Old comic books are big business in the United States. Just last year a number one action comic book, the debut of Superman, in good condition sold for $1,100,000 at a comic book convention. It's big business. But he said, if somebody walked into a comic book convention and they said, I have a number one action to sell, and they took it to the person who's interested in buying and said, I want a million dollars for it, but mine's different than all the others. In mine, Superman dies in the first story, and that's the end. Do you know how much money he would get for it? Not a penny. Because every one of the comic book people would know it's, one of, it's, it's less than 1%. It's different than all the others. It's fake. He said the comic book people are better scholars than you are. And then he sat down. And I looked at him and said, you know, I'm going to go around the world using that illustration and telling people I made it up. Because that was just right on target. Listen to me. I know what the debate is today. People say, well, but the King James is too hard. It's too difficult. It's too demanding. It's too old. It's too... Do you understand? I want an accurate Bible. The thing that counts is not how easy it is. In fact, the way to make it easy is to take a bunch of stuff out. I want an accurate Bible. And I tell people very quickly, uh, I often give a long message on this, but very quickly, I say I use the King James Bible for uh, five reasons. Number one, it's based on the right text, which is what we're just talking about right now. It's not based on one of the corrupt, phony texts. I use it because it's translated by the right people. The greatest collection of scholars, language scholars, ever on one project in the history of the world. And I'm always talking to somebody who says, well, you know, a better translation would be somebody that's proud of the fact he got a C in New Testament Greek when he was in Bible college. And he's correcting these folks. And I'll say to them, and they normally don't know what I'm saying. I said, you know, I checked that out with 54 of the finest language scholars that ever lived, and they all disagree with you. You know what I'm saying when I say that? Read the King James Bible. You didn't have the credentials to be part of that. Who are you to correct them? And they all checked each other's work, which is number three, had the right method. None of it is one man's work. Every word is checked by everybody involved. Every word in the translation is checked at least 14 times by the greatest collection of scholars in the history of the world for translation. I use it because it's based on the right doctrine. Here's what I mean. The translation is based on the idea that God gave every word. When you believe God gave every word, it makes you kind of careful what you do with the words. Translation after translation after translation out there is based on the idea that God gave the ideas. And it's our job to put the ideas in our words. That gives you freedom to make changes. But the King James translators operated on the idea that God gave every word and that they were going to answer to God for what they did with every word. That'll make a real difference than what comes up with a lot of folks. I don't want an inaccurate Bible. I want an accurate Bible. And if I have to learn a few words to have an accurate Bible, I will. I don't want something that sounds like the daily newspaper. That's how all these Bibles get advertised. It reads just like the daily newspaper. Really? When's the last time your heart needed a blessing from above and you went looking for a newspaper? A few years back, my wife, we were concerned she might have cancer. She did. She went to the doctor. She took all the tests. The doctor was a member of the church I pastored. So I got a call from a doctor's office Wednesday. said he wanted to see me tonight after the church service with the results. And um, so I'm, I'm there. It's Wednesday night. And he's one of those folks. You know, some people, you can't read any emotion on their face when you're preaching to them. It's like preaching to people made out of stone. You can't tell a thing. But there are some people you can read everything they're thinking. He was one of those people. I always knew whether he liked what I just preached or not. And I'm preaching, and he's staring at the ceiling, and he won't look at me. He's staring at the floor, and he won't look at me. And I knew, I knew all the time I was preaching what the Word was going to be. He met with, he said, I want Cindy to go to the hospital in the morning, set up surgery. Uh, she has cancer. It's bad. we got to get her uh, to, the, to surgery just as quick as possible. Well, that will shake your life up. And so we went home, and I sat and I talked with her. And I'm trying to look strong and, you know, confident and everything a husband is supposed to be to be encouraging. And I did that till she went to bed, and then I broke down. And man, I needed something from God. And there on our coffee table were two things a King James Bible and a Chicago Tribune. One of them reads just like the newspaper, one of them doesn't. Which one do you think I went for? I wanted one that read like the Word of God, that sounded like the Word of God and seemed like the Word of God and is occasionally hard to understand because you would just expect that there would be some things in the Word of God that you might have to work at. Satan tries to destroy the influence of Scripture by physically destroying the copies of Scripture. But By the way, it is our job to get the Word of God around the world, both where it's open and people will accept it, and where it's hard to get it. I have mentioned I went to Syria in 2005, most incredible week of my life. I was there for a week. While I was there, an Iranian preacher heard there was an American preacher in Syria, which was just unheard of. So he wanted to come. He'd always wanted to meet an American preacher. So he showed up. They introduced me to him. I had him staying in in my uh, hotel room, which was interesting because he didn't speak a word English. And I don't speak a word of Farsi. Our entire communication was hand gestures trying to figure out what each other meant. If you could have photographed that, you could have run it with Laurel and Hardy or the Three Stooges. And I'm sure it will fit the other. This man's ministry was smuggling Bibles in Iran. That was the heart of his ministry. Now, see, there's already a Bible that's legal in Iran. It's a critical text-based Bible. The American Bible Society provides millions of them in Iran for free. See, why were they smuggling Bibles in? Because the American Bible Society Bible is based on the critical text, and it waters down the deed of Christ, and it waters down salvation by faith. And the Muslims didn't mind that Bible, because nobody's reading that Bible and getting saved from it. But the Bible, there is a good Farsi translation based on the majority text like the King James, and that Bible's outlawed in Iran. And it was so important to this man that the Iranian people have the pure word of God that he literally put his life on the line to get it to them. And about a year after we spent a week together, he got caught. And they cut both of his hands off at the wrist so that he wouldn't be smuggling Bibles anymore. You know, every now and then somebody calls me names because I take a stand for the pure Word of God. Let me tell you something, I don't feel the least bit intimidated by that. I know the price other people have paid. And it's way beyond what I ever dreamed of. Third way, would you go to Titus chapter 2 with me? That Satan tries to destroy the influence of the Word of God. A lot of subjects in the passage I'm about to read. We're not going to look at any of them but one for time's sake, but you'll get the idea in just a moment. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. The aged women likewise if they uh, be in behavior as become holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. They may teach the young women to be sober, To love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Now watch this. Everything, verse 1 through 5, has been about living a godly life. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. You know what happens when Christians live ungodly lives? What do people blame? Whose testimony is ruined? The Lord's is. I can't tell you how many people I know that have left, that used to be in church, that used to try to follow the Lord at least to some extent in their life, used to have some sense of godliness and morality, whose excuse for being out of church, living ungodly, living in wickedness today, whose excuse for all that is some preacher, usually a well-known preacher, that has fallen into sin. And and that becomes their excuse. God gets blamed when people do not live godly. Y'all get that? If we fail to honor the Lord, somebody is going to quit paying attention to the Word of God because of our failure. You ready? I mean, you understand? Satan doesn't have to use the person who's going to collect the Bibles and burn them. He doesn't have to use the person who's consciously going to make a corrupt copy. He could use me and you. The financial scandals, the moral scandals that have plagued ministries and destroyed the reputation of preachers, or just the Christian that you know have blasphemed the Word of God and they cause people to turn away from the scripture and it fulfills Satan's purpose. See, it's our job to get the Bible to people. It's our job even to get the Bible to people in random access nations where there are difficulties and there are challenges. It is our job to stand for the pure, uncorrupted Word of God. And we ought to be ashamed of ourselves as churches, and I think God you have a pastor that does, but we ought to be ashamed of ourselves as churches if we say, boy, it's, well, we don't want to take the criticism. And um, we want an easy Bible, and we want a popular Bible. Uh, we need to stand for the pure Word of God. But I'll tell you something. We ought to dead set make sure we do not blaspheme the Word of God. That's the job of every one of you, that the testimony, your testimony, not be something that could drive people away from the Lord and from the things that this church stands for. If a member of the church falls, it influences somebody. If a preacher, pastor, youth pastor, song leader, somebody that's in a public eye falls, it'll affect the testimony of the entire church. We better never let go of that or we could become those who are blaspheming the Word of God and fulfill Satan's purpose. Get ready one more way. We'll be done in just a few minutes. Can I tell you ahead of time, it's a lot more likely that this one could apply to you than destroying the Bible. I doubt if anybody in this room has ever been part of that. It's a lot more likely that this could apply to you than it would to corrupt the Word of God. Maybe some of you have made the mistake of using a corrupt Bible, but just by the fact you go to this church, I suspect a lot of you get this issue. Maybe, but I doubt if many of you have blasphemed the Word of God, you probably wouldn't be here. It's not usually the crowd you draw to a Monday night church service. It's ready for the fourth method. If Satan can just get us to ignore the Word of God, it accomplishes just as much as if he destroyed it. Yeah, I got a Bible. I got four or five Bibles at home, but don't read any of them. What difference does it make? yeah, I got all my Bibles, my big family Bible, the Bible I carry with me to church, the Bible sitting on my desk is all good. King James Bibles are from whatever language that that I speak or is is also a language. I have a good Bible. Some languages have a good Bible in them. Some don't. I say, yep, all, all my Bibles are pure text. Never read any of them. Never study any of them. Never show anybody anything in them. But, boy, they're all pure text. I think the single most dangerous method that Satan has to attack the Word of God is simply to get people's lives to be so busy, so preoccupied, etc., that they ignore the Word of God that they have right in front of them. I'm just guessing, of course. But I'm guessing that's a bigger temptation to you, the crowd that would come out on Monday night, than any of these other three things are. If Satan can get you to ignore the Scriptures, he has accomplished just as much as if he had been able to destroy every copy. If Satan can get you to ignore the Scriptures, he will have accomplished just as much as if he could have corrupted every copy. Satan can get you to ignore the Scriptures, It'll have the same impact on you as it would if somebody had blasphemed the Word of God and you totally begin to ignore the Lord as a result. Satan wants to physically destroy every copy of the Scripture. We need to get in the way of that every way we possibly can. He wants people to have nothing but corrupt Bibles. And we need to get in the way of that every way we possibly can by standing for what's right. He wants to blaspheme the Word of God, and we need to make sure that we are not the agent that he can use in blaspheming the Word of God. And he wants us to ignore the Word of God. And whatever we need to do, we need to dead set make sure that the Word of God has its proper role in our life, and that we don't miss it.